Good morning, Mountain Park. How are we doing? What a great time of worship together, singing of our Redeemer who's rescued us. So glad that you're here this morning. Those of you watching online, thanks for joining us. We're so excited that you're part of our church as well. If you don't know me, my name's Dwayne. I serve as the adult ministry pastor here at Mountain Park Church, and God is doing some great, great things here. Uh, before I get started, I wanted to um, uh, let you in on something that happened this weekend. It's still happening now. We had a team on Thursday that headed out to Rocky Point. There was 47 people on this team that headed down there, which is exciting, very exciting. And uh, that's, a, that's a chunk of them there. Uh, 22 of them was their first time going on this trip. And uh, they had the opportunity while they've been down there this weekend to work in a home alongside the people that are going to be living in that home. And, and uh, it's just exciting to see what God's doing. I say this to say this. Pray for them as they head back this uh, today. Uh, you know how that deal is. you got to come across the board and everything else, which we're not anticipating any issues. But just pray for them. And uh, if you're interested maybe in being a part of something like this in the future, let us know. We'd love to help you uh, get connected to an upcoming trip as well. But uh, good to see what God's doing. And that ministry doesn't just happen on Sunday morning here. Amen? I'm excited about that. Well, today we're starting a brand new series, as you saw in the bumper there, called The Reality of Jesus. And this series is going to take us through Easter, where we dig in each week to different realities of Jesus. And today we're kind of answering this question, was Jesus really tempted? And uh, that's a great question that we're going to talk about, and we're going to dig into an amazing passage this morning. Now, I know that for most of you, when it comes to temptation and stuff, you, that's really not a big deal, right? It's not an issue. You guys are past that, right? You, you learn to take care of temptation. That doesn't even bother me anymore. Am I, am I right? Or No, I don't think I'm right. We all get it. Temptation hits all of us, doesn't it, all the time. In fact, I'm experiencing some, some serious temptation right now to tell some dad jokes. <laughs> it's a temptation. It's, for me, it's kind of like an addiction. Um, it, it truly is. In fact, when I was in college, I, I did have an addiction. Um, and I, I, was, I'm just, I was addicted to the hokey pokey in college. <laughs> and by the grace of God, I, I turned myself around. And that's what it's all about. That's right. Uh, but I do have a couple of quick ones for you. So what do you call a pastor who works part-time for Amazon? A prime minister. <laughs> or what do you call a pastor who works part-time for Apple? An eyewitness. I know, they get cornier and cornier as they go along here. I do have some good traits. I am an organ donor. I gave my heart to Jesus, so we're, we're good there, right? All right, good. Well, let me, let me start with asking you a question this morning, all right? How many of you like taking tests? All right, I see about four hands. That's, that's pretty normal, yep. You, you, you overachievers out there, yes, give me a test. Um, yeah, when it, when, my experience has kind of taught me that people don't get too excited when it comes to taking tests, right? Um, I remember back in school, my school days anyway, it was Friday. Friday was test day. Anybody have that when you're in school? Friday was test day. Every Friday we had a spelling test, we had a math test, we had some kind of social study or history test that we had to do. And you remember this teacher would always say, clear your desk and take out your number two pencil. And then she would give two instructions. No talking, which was always my issue. And number two, keep your eyes where? On your own paper, right? That was like the, 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 the quintessential rules uh, for taking a test. Here's what I believe to be true when it comes to taking tests, folks. The amount that you are okay with a test depends on the amount of your preparation. Let me say that again. The amount you're okay with, your, with a test depends on the amount of your preparation. If you did the work, 
If you read the chapter, you studied, you prepared well, you were much likely less stressed about that test that you were going to take. You see, what a test does, the test reveals what we already know, what we've learned, what we've studied. That's what a test does. Taking a test doesn't make us any smarter, right? It simply just reveals the things uh, that we've studied. Now, um, if you try to learn during the test, you know, you take out your textbook and say, I want to I review one more chapter. Well, then you're called a cheater and you, you, know, you, you're, you fail the test. Um, but what tests do is they reveal the things uh, that we may need still to work on. That's what tests do. If we, if we miss an answer, we realize, oh, I didn't know that. I need to work on that. I need to get better at that. That's what a test does. Now, there are a lot of different tests in life, right? A lot more than just books and study and school and that type of thing. And here's the thing. If we can learn, if we can learn to view the tests that we have in life, the temptations that we have in life, if we can learn to view those as opportunities to grow and opportunities to get better, then I believe we will have a lot more victory and joy in life. So this morning, we're going to talk about the temptations of Jesus. And I have a very simple, big idea that I want to get across this morning that you can walk away with. It's not profound. It's not a new idea. It's just a simple idea, a simple truth. And here's what it is. Passing a test is all about the preparation. Passing a test is all about the preparation. Folks, if you have your Bible with you this morning, whether it's pages that turn or a screen that scrolls, I'd like you to open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. And um, it's the first book in the New Testament if you're new to the Bible. And uh, if you're, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, as, as you're turning there, I'd like to give you a little background first before we jump into Matthew, chapter 4, on what's happening here. So just prior to this chapter, Jesus has just been baptized. And um, he's about to enter his public ministry. And so I want to I read the last two verses of chapter 3 to kind of set up what happens in chapter 4. And so in chapter 3, in verse 16, it says this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased. So at the end of this chapter, chapter 3, we have this incredible scene. Jesus, the Son of God, is baptized and heaven opens. Now, I don't know what that looked like, but i got to believe it was an amazing sight. And we're told that the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, lands on him. Or the word they use there is a lighting on him. It means to settle or to stay on him. Now, what that doesn't mean is that for the next three years, Jesus walked around with a bird on his shoulder, like a pirate or something. But what it does mean is that the Holy Spirit now indwelled him and was going to remain with him. And so Jesus, in this scene, really meets God's approval. This, that's what this scene is about, this baptism scene. He's now ready, um, and he's prepared for his public ministry and what's, what he's going to enter. And so the first thing that he runs into was temptation, or testing. And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 4 in verse 1. And, and I don't have a, you know, I just picture this as kind of the rumble in the desert that's going to take place here. It's, a, it's an intense time that we're going to jump into. So in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then, or immediately following the baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. All right. So, so the Holy Spirit now indwells Jesus, and the first thing he does, he leads him into the wilderness, leads him into this barren, dusty, hilly, rocky place, very similar to 
what we have surrounding us here in Phoenix, out into the desert. We all understand that. And, and he sends the devil there to tempt him. Now, the word tempted there is the Greek word parazo, which simply means to test. The devil has come on the scene to test Jesus. Now, before I move on, I want to I clarify something. I want to mention two important questions that often surface whenever we talk about the temptations of Jesus. And here's what they are. One, was Jesus able to sin? And number two, were the temptations real? Two very real and very good questions. Um, folks, there has been debate amongst biblical scholars for centuries on what's called the, the impeccability and the peccability of Jesus. Could he sin? Could he not sin? You see, Jesus, who is now the, through the incarnation, he's both fully God and he's fully man. So you can imagine there's debate on both sides of this. Here's the deal. We're not going to solve that debate today. That's not our point. The point that I want to make, I tell you this, is because whether Jesus could have sinned or couldn't have sinned, the point is he didn't sin. That's what matters. That's what we have to remember. I want to show you a verse in Hebrews 4.15, which, which kind of explains this. It says this. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet, what? Did not sin. That's what matters, folks. He was tested, and he did not sin. So the other question, was it a real test? Was it a real temptation? Well, my answer to that is absolutely 100% yes. These were real temptations. Our adversary knows how to tempt, and he knew what he was doing. Even if you conclude that Jesus was not able to sin because he was God, doesn't mean that the temptations were not real. Let me give you a simple Silly illustration about this, but if I, if I decide to go to San Diego and I get myself a rowboat and a BB gun and I paddle out, row out into the harbor where they keep all those big boats and I come across one of those aircraft carriers, and if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about, and I row up on there and I'm like, I don't, I don't like that boat. The color's ugly. It's, it's gaudy. I'm, I'm going to attack it. I'm going to sink it. I pull up my trusty BB gun and I can, I can do this till my finger falls off. I'm not going to sink that ship. But it doesn't mean that my attack wasn't real. Folks, the tests that Jesus faced were real. And understand that Satan knows just how, just when, and just where to go after us. He absolutely does. He knows where to go after us so that he can provide the best possibility of failure on our part. That's why we have to prepare because passing a test is all about the preparation. And we're going to run into that in just a moment. So let's move on to verse 2. After 40 days and 40 nights, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. All right. So Matthew here provides what I think is the biggest understatement in all of Scripture. After 40 days, he was hungry. Do you really need to say that? Of course he's hungry. Let me ask a question. How many of you have ever gone like three days without eating anything? All right, a few of you. How about five days? A couple. Seven days? Anybody gone a week without eating? Ten days? Yeah. Yeah. Let's be honest. We don't do well when we don't eat, do we? We miss a meal. We get hangry quickly, don't we? We get irritable, right? Our bodies do not like it uh, when we don't feed them. Well, before Jesus gets tested, he spends nearly a month and a half kind of camping in the wilderness with nothing to eat. Why? Well, it says that he was fasting. 
Well, what does that mean? Well, I would guess that many of you in the room, many of you watching online are, are familiar with the uh, spiritual discipline of fasting. But in case you're not, let me give you a simple definition of what fasting is. Fasting is, is giving up something, oftentimes it's something physical, in order to focus on the spiritual, in order to spend focused time with God. Now, that physical thing can, can be food, and oftentimes it is. You think of a fast, people fast, they fast food. Not fast food, but they fast off food. You get it? But uh, there's other types of fasting people do. To spend, you know, I've, I've heard of people doing music fasts where instead of you know, at lunchtime listening to music, they'll, they'll pray instead of doing that. Or a media fast where instead of you know, an hour of TikTok and Facebook, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend time praying, those type of things. The point of fasting is to spend time with God in a very focused way. Jesus, our Savior, realizes that he's about to begin his public ministry. And he needs to be completely prepared and focused for all the tests that are going to come his way. So after 40 days, Satan rolls up on him when Jesus is extremely weak, at least physically extremely weak. And he starts with some tests. And notice what he does first. He goes after Jesus' identity. Did you see that? He says, if you are the son of God. Remember, just prior to this, this is why I read it earlier, Jesus had been baptized, and God the Father had verbally proclaimed Jesus' identity, didn't he? He said, this is my son in whom I, or whom I love. This is one of Satan's most popular tactics to use, friends. Questioning our identity. Getting you to question that. If you were a follower of Jesus, if you're really a Christian, putting those doubts in our head. And folks, let me just tell you, when you lose sight of who you are and whose you are, when you go down that path, it will almost certainly cause us to fail any test or temptation that comes our way. Now understand, Satan, he's no dummy. He completely knows who Jesus is here. What he's trying to do is, in this temptation is get Jesus to use who he is to satisfy his own needs, to rely on self instead of God. I'm going to give you some things to write down today. If you have your journal, page 87 is where you could turn to or just use a piece of paper or whatever. But test number one is the test of doing it my own way, my way. Doing it my own way. Satan is here saying, look, Jesus, if you're the son of God, then prove it. Prove it. Why don't you make some bread? I know you're hungry. In fact, I know you're starving, Jesus. Use some of your power to gratify your own needs. If you're the son of God, Jesus, God's not going to care if you change his plan up just a little bit. Come on, make it about you. Why not take some of these worthless stones that are laying all over the place, do a little miracle, and turn them into bread? Can you imagine being at your hungriest and somebody plants the thought of warm bread in your mind? Yeah, we're not going to resist that, are we? <laughs> not a chance. Not a chance at all. Look how Jesus answers him. Verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I want you to notice something here. Jesus, in answering the devil, immediately goes on the offensive. He pulls out his sword. Not a, not a metal blade that's been forged, but God's word, the truth that's been written down. And what does he do? He goes after Satan with it. You know, it's very easy when, when somebody attacks you and I for us to get defensive, right? We put our hands up, we duck, we run, we, we get away. 
That's a natural thing to do. But folks, defense doesn't destroy the enemy. We need to learn offense. And so Jesus uses the sword of the spirit, the word of God, to attack. Because the word of God is an offensive weapon. It's designed for us to move forward in life and not backwards, not in retreat. It cuts and it slices in a way that helps us grow closer to God. Um, I want to show you a verse in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 that talks about what this sword does. In verse 12 it says, For the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Folks, God's word cuts deep. It's a powerful weapon against temptation, against the testing that comes our way. And when tested, Jesus immediately goes on the offensive with those three amazing words, it is written. And what Jesus does is he goes to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and he quotes a passage, and I'm going to read a couple of verses out of that passage, but I want you to check out the comparison here between the nation of Israel that Jesus is going to reference and his own situation. It says this, beginning in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order that he may know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. This passage is all about obedience. Jesus goes to an obedience passage here. Verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you what? That man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus looks at Satan and he says, hey, just like the nation of Israel depended on God to take care of them in the wilderness, I'm going to depend on God to take care of me in the wilderness. I'm not going to get in his way by putting myself and my needs above his plan. Jesus is saying here, I choose obedience. I choose for God to get the glory, not me. And friends, think about that in our own lives, for all of us. Ask this question, where in my life, where in your life are you giving in to doing it your way instead of God's way? Where in your life are you saying, God, I don't want to wait anymore. I've been in the wilderness too long. I'm going to take, I'm going to take the matters into my own hands. Where are we doing that? I'll take care of it. I'll step in myself. Folks, this is a struggle. This is a test that we all face and that we all have to deal with. Jesus faced it, and what happens? He passed. What an example for us. Why did he pass? Because he was prepared. And remember that passing a test is all about the preparation. So test number one, big L for Satan. Jesus is ahead, one nothing here. But Satan doesn't stop. He regroups like he always does, and he comes at Jesus from a different angle. And we pick it up in verse 5. Look what it says. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So the devil comes back and he says, hey, Jesus, let's take a walk. And they end up in, in Jerusalem at the temple, the holy city. And, and I'm not sure how any of this happened. We don't know any of the details because we're, we're just not told. But they're there on the temple at the highest point. And this is what Satan says to him. He says, if you are the son of God, there he goes again with the identity thing. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. In other words, jump off the building, Jesus. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
So what kind of test is this? Test number two, write this down. It's trying to force God's hand. This is the test of trying to force God's hand. Satan here is trying to get Jesus to prove who he is by forcing God to step in and save him. You see, from where they were standing, the highest point of the temple, whether it was 100 feet, 200 feet, whatever, didn't matter. If Jesus were to jump, the result would be the same. Physically, he would die. God would be forced to step in to save him. And notice that Satan here not only puts Jesus to the test, but he also throws in some Bible. Did you notice that? The devil knows scripture. You see, Jesus passed the last test by throwing in scripture. So Satan says, well, two can play that game. And so Satan throws in some scripture and he quotes a passage from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And friends, understand that our enemy is no dummy. He's a liar, he's a deceiver, he knows how to twist things. You see, um, an outright lie is not, is not as big of a deal. That's powerful, but it's not as big of a deal as when you take a lie and you mix it with some truth, right? Then it becomes really powerful. That's what Satan did back in the Garden of Eden, and that's what he continues to try to do in our lives today. So Jesus is, or Satan is saying, look, you know what? Put the father to the test, Jesus. Act a little crazy. Make him show up. You'll be fine. But Jesus isn't buying it. Jesus knows that the point of the passage that Satan quoted in Psalm 91 is about God's natural protection in our lives, not about forcing his hand by doing something stupid like jumping off a building. So what does Jesus do? Verse 7, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I love how the word, Jesus used the word also there. See, he doesn't deny that Satan had just quoted some scripture. Instead, what Jesus does is he says, it all, it's also written. Let me, let, me, let me give you a passage in its rightful place and rightful context here, Satan. And so he goes right back to Deuteronomy, this time chapter 6. Let me show you a couple verses out of here. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 14. This is the passage Jesus is quoting. He says, Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. His anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. And then verse 16, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And if you read this passage, it continues on to say, if you do, it, if you do what's right, it will go well with you. Again, this is a passage about obedience that Jesus throws out at him. Jesus knew that he did not need to act recklessly in order to show how good God is. He didn't need to force God's hand to prove that God was faithful. And you know what? Neither do we. We don't need to do that either. You and I as Christians, we need to learn to live with a, with a healthy fear of God and understanding that God knows what's best for us and understanding that we don't have to try to force God's plans to carry out our, force, force God to carry out our plans in life. Instead, we should be saying, God, what's your will for my life? What, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to use the gifts you've given me, God? And the best way to get past this test is by being prepared to listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to his word because as I said before, passing the test is all about the preparation. So Satan here, 0 for 2, strike 2. And we're told he tries one more very desperate attempt to take Jesus down. It's a very real and appealing test and it begins in verse 8. Look at this. Again, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Okay, now, I'm gonna just be honest. I don't know how this was done. We're not told. 
I don't know what, we don't know what mountain this was on. We don't know what, what kingdoms they could see. Maybe they could see, you know, the, the, some of the cities down below. We don't know. Maybe this was some type of vision where all the, all the kingdoms were on display. We just don't know. The point is that Satan here was trying to pull out all of the stops and holding nothing back. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, all this I will give you if, if you will bow down and worship me. Friends, now we get to the real reason that Satan is doing what he's doing here. This is what he's after. And it shows us the, the, the desperation of Satan when he's willing to give up everything just to be worshiped by Jesus. Folks, this last test, test number three, this is a test of worshiping other things. And this one hits home with every one of us. It just does. You see, worship is, uh, worship is simply what we give worth to. That's what, that's what worship is. What do we give worth to? And it, and it raises this question, how many things in my life do I worship? How many things do I put above God in my life? How many things do I give worth to above God? I'm going to meddle here for a minute. Um, we, we live in a culture, friends, where if I put my hour in on Sunday, I go to church, I watch church, I worship, then I'm good, right? That's our culture. I put my time in, I'm good. Did my thing. Folks, do our priorities really show that we worship God? Do our, do our actions during the week show that we worship God? Do it, does our checkbook show that we worship God? This is a tough test. It, it truly is. And we have to ask, am I prepared to pass this test daily? Am I, am I in this book daily in order to pass this test? Do I have people around me that I can go to to help me pass this test every day? Folks, this isn't a one-and-done test. This is a daily test. This one's calling your name. It's calling my name. And here's why. Because this one's all about stuff. And guess what? <laughs> we like stuff. Yes, we do. We like stuff. What did Satan tell to Jesus? All this. What's he showing him? These kingdoms. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. The pride of life. All this, Jesus, I will give to you. It's all yours. If you will just bow down and worship me. Satan here attempts to give Jesus, okay? Jesus, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the one that all things have been created by and for, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, will one day return to set up his kingdom. That Jesus. Satan is trying to give that Jesus everything. And he's telling Jesus, look, Jesus, I can offer you all of this now. And you won't have to deal with all that pain and suffering stuff, Jesus. You can sidestep all that. All you need to do is worship me. Just, just, just take a knee, Jesus, and it's all yours. And don't miss this. Look what our Savior does. 40 days, nothing to eat, very weak physically, after being tempted to gain the entire world, which, by the way, is his anyway, Look what he says to him, verse 10. Put that up on the screen. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, exclamation point. You know what that means? 
He yelled at him. Jesus, Satan, he said, get the, out of here. I don't want you messing with my life anymore. I'm tired of you tempting me. I'm tired of you bothering me. Get away from me. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's what our Savior does. Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 again. He lets Satan know, look, there's only one God that's to be worshipped. There's only one God who's to be served, and we're to put ourselves under his authority, not our own. We're not to worship these fleeting passions and lusts and and desires that are never going to fulfill us and never going to bring us happiness. Instead, we're to worship the one true God who loves us so much that he's willing to sacrifice himself for us. Test number three, Jesus passed it. A plus. Why? Because he was prepared. And as I said before, passing the test is all about the preparation. So we get to verse 11. It says, then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Jesus tells the devil, go away, and he has no choice. He has to leave. And the angels came and attended him, meaning they brought him some food. They met his needs. And you know what, you know what I, I believe was on that menu that they brought him? Angel food cake. <laughs> I don't know what else was on the spread, but there was angel food cake. I believe that. Folks, as I wrap this up, I want to make something very, very clear to, to all of us, including myself. You know, the tests and the temptations that Jesus had were real. And the reason I know that they're real is because those same tests and temptations happen to us today. Satan hasn't changed. He's still a liar. He's still a deceiver. He still uses the same tactics to try to get to us. But understand this this timeless truth. Jesus overcame and makes a way for you and I to do the same. How? By being prepared. Two things I want you to write down as, as as we wrap this up. And I want you to remember these because they will help you in passing these tests that come your way. Number one, know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. Know your identity. Know that as a follower of of Jesus, that you are his child. You are a child of God. You are adopted into his family. You are saved by grace through faith. And as Romans 8, 39 says, and nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Know who you are in Christ. Never lose sight of your identity in him. Because Satan will attack that. And number two, know how to handle God's word. Know how to handle God's word. Get this book into your life. Read it. Meditate on it. Speak it. Live it out. Memorize it. How did, how did Jesus resist Satan? The sword of the word. That's how you do it. And keep in mind, folks, you don't have to do it alone. Nobody's telling you you have to do this all alone. You're not by yourself. We want to help you as a church. That's why we're a body of Christ. One way you can do that is by leaning into the journals that you have. Or some type of daily devotion guide. Get into it. Study it. Learn his word. Another way you can do it, get into a community group. Come alongside other followers of Christ who can help. You can help each other. Learn how to do that together. So you don't have to do this alone. Here's the bottom line, friends. Temptations are not going away on this side of heaven. Sorry if that bothers you, but they're not. (laughs) They're just going to be there. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us of this. Look what it says. It says, be alert. Be of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls along like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What's Peter saying there? You better pay attention. That's what he's saying there. Be prepared because Satan's ready to strike at any time. He knows your weakest moments. He's ready to pounce on you like a lion. Be prepared. Now, you may be thinking, you know what, Dwayne? You don't know what I'm up against. 
You don't, you don't know the, the temptations that come my way. And, Dwayne, I'm tired of losing all the time. I keep getting these temptations, and I just can't beat them. I'm just, I, I, I just can't. I don't have any victory. I'm tired of losing all the time. You know what, folks? I, I get it. I don't have this corner mastered either. I'm just telling you. This is a daily struggle for all of us. But I want to leave you with a promise this morning. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. And if you don't have this verse memorized, I think you should memorize it, write it down, put it somewhere where you can see it, make sure it's part of your life and your heart. Because this is a promise that we can all hold on to. And here's what it says. It says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man or mankind. And don't, in this next part, say it with me. And God is faithful. Say it like you mean it. And God is faithful. God's faithful. Amen. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able or beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation, he will provide a way out, the way of escape, so that you can endure it. Folks, that truth, you need to get into your life. That promise means that you can pass any test, any temptation that comes your way. How do we know that? Because God's faithfulness promises us, and his faithfulness cannot change. He will not allow you to be tested beyond what you can handle. You have to believe that. But we need to prepare. We have to prepare. So I want to encourage you. Get back in the ring. Get your sword back out. Start swinging again. Start fighting those tests again. Friends, do not get comfortable with the temptations that may be in your life. Don't get used to them and get comfortable with them and just say, it's just going to happen. No, don't get comfortable with them. Don't let Satan win. Fight back. Know who you are in Christ. Know how to handle his word. Prepare for the tests. Because as I said before, passing a test Passing the temptation is all about the preparation. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to open your word up and just let it speak to us, Father. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who are, who are here today, who are watching, Lord. I pray that together, Lord, we can, we can take this, this truth, Lord, and apply it to our lives, Lord, knowing that you want what's best for us, Father, and those temptations, Lord, that we can, we can beat them, Lord because you're faithful. Help us, Lord, to chase that. I thank you for what you're going to do, Father, in your name. Amen.